I'm going back to Genesis. That's where we started our series. We're still looking at the good news, this very good gospel. And, uh, and it started off in Genesis 1. We're going to make our way back there again this morning. Um, <clears throat> I went to the dentist this week and uh, was, was upset a wee bit about, felt like my teeth were a bit stained. And, uh, and then the, the dentist said to me, do you, do you smoke or drink coffee? I said, I drink it. Huh? I'll flip me. I must have it again. <laughs> have, we, have we debrief there and I'll let me know when you're ready. I'll continue. Um, I'll talk about this is good news for it's funny the more you think about it, I think. Um, good news for families. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, this is something that I wanted to talk about this week, uh, this Sunday, but I um, found myself this week, so much of my week was taken up with um, doing some stuff with Home for Good. It's an incredible organization uh, whose whole idea is to find a home for every child who needs one passionate about uh, revealing God's heart to, to everybody. And I um, and also did some stuff this week with Safe Families, another wonderful organization that I encourage you to. I imagine they'll be here at some stage. But I encourage you to find a wee bit more about Safe Families. They joke that they are home for good light. Um, so their whole idea is just to gather around families that just need some, that need some support, need some help. Need someone standing around them. Um, so I sort of felt, I sort of felt apt that that's what we would that's that's what we would talk about this morning. How the gospel is good news for families. And sometimes to realise how how good the good news is, you have to talk a wee bit about the bad. And so we, we go right back to Genesis and Genesis one and two, and we see how God. From the very beginning, he created everything, including family. God created family. We go back to Genesis and we see that. It's after, it's after Genesis three, and, and we have we've talked about we've talked about the fall. We've talked about the separation of sin. How sin separated all that God had called very good. He had blessed it. We use that Hebrew word that uh, tov meod. It was very good. All of the relationships created were very good. Relationship between, between humanity and God. Relationship between humanity with relationship with one another and relationship with creation. It was very, very good. And then Genesis 3, we see how sin separated all of those relationships that were declared very good. We see the destruction ultimately after Genesis 3 of the family unit. Because all of a sudden there was this broken trust. There was this broken trust between the man and the woman. Um, they, they were blaming each other. They now had this distrust and this shame, this nakedness that they didn't once have. The broken trust uh, entered. Broken trust between man and woman. And as we follow on this story, which we'll do, which we'll do briefly this morning, We'll see how it wasn't long before it was reflected in the next generation. That broken, uh, broken trust, 
trust had broken down, relationship had disintegrated, and it was reflected in the next generation. And it becomes really bad news. It's really painful, the story of Cain and Abel. And we read about it in Genesis 4. And we're told that uh, Eve bore Cain. And let me just read it. Uh, she then bore Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep, Cain a tiller of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought the first lanes of his flock. So I want, I want to point that out really briefly. Because Abel's, Abel's offering required trust in God. Cain brought his leftovers. It's important to point that out, I think. We'll not have time to delve too much into it, but I just wanted to point that out. Abel offered his first fruits. Something about offering your first fruits, and we're, we're talk, we we read about that. As, and it talks about our giving, and in in the, in the old and in the New Testaments, we read about offering our first fruits. It's something about that you're declaring that you trust God and you trust His way. Cain didn't do that. Cain gave whatever was left over. We talked a wee bit that a wee bit about that on Wednesday night. Sometimes we, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to hearing from God or whatever the conversation, sometimes we talk, we almost think, um, what's the little, what's the least I can get away with? Um, what's the minimum required of me? And Cain maybe had fallen into that trap that he was given his leftovers. Cain was already fallen into the same trap of his parents, that it, there was a way to peace and there was a way to fulfillment God's way. That, he, that God had made clear and there was a way to peace and fulfillment that we go our own way and that's ultimately what Adam and Eve, that's the choice that they made and that is what we see, I think, in in Cain. The problem, let me, let me keep reading. Uh, Cain, was, Cain was angry um, because his offering had no regard. The Lord said, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do well, sin is lurking at your door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And so this, this, uh, this conversation that the Lord begins to have with Cain, and I think, I'm suggesting this to you, but I think that the Lord is trying to say to Cain that his, his lack of regard was for his offering. It wasn't for Cain himself. I think Cain interpreted God's lack of regard for his offering as a lack of regard for him as a person. But that's not what was going on. I don't think I think there is a there is a longing that there's a longing in the heart of God that Cain would master what is trying to distract, what is what is desiring to take him his own way. He's he's disregarded his offering because his, his offering is not trusting in God. It's not trusting in his own, um, in God's way. And uh, but Cain ignores, Cain doesn't even engage in the conversation it feels and he invites Abel out into the field and he takes his life. And I think what was God was offering to, to Cain, the, the conversation that God was longing for Cain to enter into was if you follow your parents who chose their own way to peace or you can choose to trust me. Do what is well. 
Because if you don't do what is well, there's going to be, there's natural consequences to you making the decision of finding your own way to peace. The natural consequences and sin was lurking at the door waiting for him. We see, we continue to watch how sin separates. Separates from God, from creation and from each other. We get to the stage where even Lamech, uh, as the generations continue to be birthed, um, Lamech in Genesis 4, towards the end of that chapter, uh, almost proudly said to his wife, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. With such, such pride it feels that he's declaring that he's such an inappropriate response to being hit that he takes a man's life but it feels like it is the natural consequences of this generational problem that seems to be spoken about so often in scripture and so part of me wants to acknowledge that part of me almost fearful of, of going too far down that road this morning um Cain, I want to go back to this question quickly. Cain asked, um, God came looking for Abel, and it's almost a, it's a reflection of what happened in Genesis, uh, Genesis 2 and 3, when God came looking for humanity after they chose their own way. And he said, where are you? And here he, God comes again. Where's, where's your brother? Cable, Cain, Cable. Cain in defensive mode says, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is. Obviously, he's telling lies. Am I my brother's keeper? And the same word that was actually used to uh, use keeper here is the word protect. That word dominion, that was the same word that was used to talk about how humanity, how we would uh, have dominion over creation. And it's not a dominion that rules over, but it's a, a dominion that stewards and protects. And so God is asking, Cain is saying, I, I, um, I don't know where he is. He's not my responsibility. He's not my responsibility. And as I've said, choosing your own way to peace has natural consequences. And if we were to go in this today, if we had time this morning, we could go to Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and we could see verses where, where it talks about the, what's going to happen to the third, the fourth, and even to the, to the umpteenth generations. Seems to be, based on the early part of Scripture, that choosing our own way to peace is natural consequences to the third and fourth generations. And we see that clearly. It feels like such bad news. It feels really heavy. But we see the natural consequences for the third and fourth generations from, from a family who will choose their own way to peace, who will not trust God's way for fulfillment and for shalom. And I think why I've probably carried so much, of, so much weight on this, not physically I'm talking about, but I think why I've carried the weight of some of this this week is because I think the holidays, I think this, like this Christmas, 
other holidays or birthdays or stuff like that. It reveals the depth of our need for God's good news for hurting families, for wounded families. The holidays reveal that it's always there. It's always in front of us if we have eyes to see, if we'll only pay attention. But I think the holidays reveal the depth of our need for God's good news for broken families. And I wanted to talk a few minutes actually this morning about um, about the story of Joseph. It deserves it, de- it deserves more time than the few minutes that I'm going to give it. But here is uh, an example of a of this big blended family, and we're told uh, Joseph of all the of all the sons of Jacob, Joseph was was the favourite. And um, and and Jacob sends him out uh, to go and find his brothers to bring them in, bring them in for dinner, go and see if it's well with them. Um, not bring them in for dinner. Sorry, go and see if, if everything's all right and bring word back to me. And so whenever Joseph came, I'm assuming if that's okay that we're most of us are familiar with the story that Joseph went out and um and to see if his brothers were okay but because of all that had gone on because of the dreams that he had and because he was maybe a bit outspoken with his dreams and told his brothers one day you're gonna I've had this dream and I think one day you're gonna bow before me and uh, and so the brothers were were pretty cross they were pretty already upset because he had this fancy coat because he was daddy's boy and um and so they decided they were, they were going to Come now, come now, let us kill him and throw him into the pit. And they created this, concocted this story that they go back to their dad with. And um, so Joseph's life just feels like it spirals. He, um, he's sold into slavery. And then through an encounter with Potiphar's wife, he ends up in jail. And it just feels like it's just continued to sink and sink ever further because of what his family had done. But there's this line that caught me um, last night that uh, Genesis 39 verse 2 says that the Lord was with Joseph. Now if you follow the rest of Joseph's story um, from here, from Genesis 39 to this, to being in Potiphar's house right through you'll find that over and over again, that idea that the Lord was with Joseph, which in some ways seems, it it doesn't seem right. Because look at his life, look at where he'd found himself in, found himself in a pit, found himself sold into slavery, found himself despised and rejected by his brothers, lied about, ended up in jail, forgotten about, stayed in, in jail and, and uh, and ends up and ends up ultimately promoted to the, to the second rank in all of Egypt, but at every stage we're reminded that the Lord was with Joseph. And then it comes to uh, again, forgive me just for whistling through, but Ge- Genesis some stuff that I really want to say. Genesis forty five. Um, there's this 
I know all that's all that's going on. Feels like all these mind games taking place. Um, but the brothers are now find themselves in famine. They're absolutely desperate. And they don't recognize Joseph. They don't. They're not aware of who he is. And then finally, in Genesis forty-five, he reveals who he is. And um. And verse eleven. Um, he tells them that he's going to tells them where to go, tells them what to do. And verse eleven says that I will provide for you. And again, it's the same word, it's the same language, it's the same thought that is used in that story of Cain and Abel. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible? Am I the one that's supposed to provide? Um, and here we have the story of Joseph. In spite of all that his brothers have done to him, he is making it clear that he will provide. And, and so Joseph, when answering the question that maybe seemed rhetorical when Cain asked it, Joseph is making it crystal clear. If, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. Do you have a responsibility? Joseph, Joseph is adamant that he does. His responsibility to provide, he is his brother's keeper. And I've just been, I suppose I've just been uh, sort of plagued with that question. I mean, not plagued, so not, not a good word. But when it comes to our brothers and sisters, when it comes to, to fellow image bearers that make up our families and make up our communities, do you have a responsibility? Are you your brother and sister's keeper? And I want to strongly suggest that you are. That the gospel, that the good news of Jesus, it's good news for hurting, wounded, pain-ridden families. And so Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, the coming of Jesus changed everything. Jesus redefined everything about family even our western concept of family our western concept of family is is alien to the to the pages of scripture where it's where it's husband and and wife and two kids and your pet and that's that's good but that's not that's a western concept of family it's not found in in the pages of scripture and so i think Sometimes we think that we are what we have a responsibility, and we all, of course, we do. We have a responsibility to your family, to our kids. But Jesus redefines family enough for us to think bigger, to think a lot wider when it comes to the idea of "Am I my brother's keeper?" Um. So Matthew twenty-five. Verse 31, let me just read this whole section. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left. And the king will, come, will say to those at the right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. 
I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the righteous will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you in sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them. And so here's the line. Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of those who are members of my family, you did it to me. Just as you did it to one of the least of those who are members of my family, you did it to me. So when it comes to feeding the hungry, or housing the homeless, or being father to the fatherless, I want to suggest, based on what Jesus is saying here, yes, we are our brother's keeper. Yes, we are our sister's keeper. Whatever you did, whatever you do to one of the least who are members of my family, you did it to me. And so at the place of greatest rejection and the greatest pain, the greatest turmoil of Joseph's life, his testimony was still when he looked back that the Lord was with him. And I would love it that that would be the case for families when in this holiday season, when maybe it's the, the trickiest part, whenever it reveals the depth of hurt and pain, whenever it reveals the depth of what has been done to you, when it reveals the depth of that, the isolation and the rejection, that, your, that the testimony would be looking back that it was with Joseph, that the Lord was with him, that the Lord is with you. And it's maybe not, maybe nobody wants to be thought of as the least, but the least are Jesus' family. So like, what I want us to hear more than anything this morning, and I think if we said enough here, but it does no harm to repeat, that it is impossible to love Jesus without hearing, without loving, sorry. It is impossible to love Jesus without loving the least of these of, that are within our families, that are within our churches, and that are within our communities. God is so committed to reconciling families, so committed to restoring family unit the whole the whole trajectory of scriptures to get us back to all that we lost and god is committed to reconciling and so in the middle if you're to if you want to go back to the story ask joseph if it's possible to testify that god is with us in the middle of pain in the middle of deep rejection ask joseph that was his testimony and maybe we still are asking the question, is the challenge to us as church in, the, in, in all seasons, but I want to probably make it heighten the challenge for us in this season. Sometimes we, we want, we know in our minds, we know in our heads that he's with us. But sometimes we want, we want something with skin on. And so God fills the gap. Until he comes back again, he fills the gap that there's that is there he fills the gap through his faithful people he fills the gap through through us 
And that is the, the deep challenge that I want to remind us of as we approach the holiday season. I love Joseph's reaction. And this will not be the case for everybody, but he's, he's moved past all the bitterness. He's moved past it all and able to respond in the most kindest, gracious way to his brothers. God has done something miraculous in him to be able to provide where there's where there's famine, where there's lack. As I'm offering this challenge to us in the holiday in the holiday season. The gap that people face through the natural consequences of choices that have been made to them, things that have been done to them. They now face the natural consequences of them and it'd be just amazing that with lack of judgment, with lack of inducing any shame that we would be with them. The same way that the Lord was with Joseph and the same way that today the Lord fills the gap through his faithful people that we would do that. And so would, would you stand with me? Would you stand and, and let me pray for us? Let me pray for, for, for families and those people that have just came to your mind as we've talked about this this morning. Um, in some ways, this is my, like I know this is my natural demeanor and I'm wanting you to trust me this is good news as much as I feel I feel like I'm just carried away of this wee bit um, and so you maybe have to forgive me for that but it is really good news it's, the gospel is such good news for for hurting wounded families and so father we even right now, over the last number of minutes, we've just, we've just carried people that are part of our family and part of our community. We've inevitably thought of those that make up our families and this church and this, the, the, the communities that we all come from. I got us... There's times that I have thought and maybe some others have thought that that's, that's the consequences of their, of the choices that they've made. I'm not responsible. I don't want to put a heavy burden on people this morning, God, but I recognize that there is something that you've placed on us to be with those that feel that they are released, those that feel that they are lacking much. And so God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to respond. And so maybe situations that we come across this week, that if it's appropriate that we, when answering that question, am I my brother or sister's keeper, that we would recognize the what you have put on us jesus 
to say yes. They're going to take responsibility, whether that's in prayer or it's an, invita an invitation. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, God, you would just break those things in the families and in the lives of those that we come across. Yes, so Spirit, just so conscious of my need for you, so conscious of our need for you. God, we want to be good news everywhere we go. So Spirit of God, help us. In Jesus' name. Amen.